Big questions about life and the big questions about faith. And at the same time, we're also showcasing aspects of the Alpha course. Uh, the Alpha course has been going for nearly 25, 30 years now. And uh, we commend it to you week by week, month by month. And we realized a few weeks ago that lots of people uh, who are church members have never actually done the Alpha course. So when we say to you, um, we'd really like you to invite your friend, your neighbor, your work colleague, someone off your course to come on the Alpha course, then you don't actually know what it is that you're inviting them to. So we thought that we would do two things in these evening services. One, to equip you to think about how to answer some of the big questions, but also to give you an idea of if you were to invite your friend, if you were to invite your neighbor, if you were to invite your work colleague, what would they actually see when they came on the Alpha course? Um, the, the evenings begin with a meal, um, and then there's a, a talk, which uh, nowadays we're using the Alpha Film Series. They've invested about £2 million redoing all the talks. They've been shot on locations in New York and in Israel and in South America. Uh, Josh and I said that we were willing to, to go and to star in the Alpha Film Series, but strangely, they didn't take us up on the offer. Uh, but what they've produced is really, really good and really, really high quality, probably because they didn't take Josh or me up on that particular offer. And what we're looking at this evening is the whole question of why and how should I read the Bible? This normally uh, comes in about week five of the Alpha Course. A few years ago now, 24 years ago, Ayrton Senna was the leading racing driver of his generation. He was the Lewis Hamilton times 100. He was the iconic figure of motorsport in the 90s, the finest racing driver of his generation. He was a huge, huge figure uh, in his native country of Brazil. He was treated um, almost like a sort of demigod. Um, he was treated above, almost on the same level as footballers in Brazil. That's how good he was. Well, sadly, on May the 1st, 1994, when he was in practice for the San Marino Grand Prix, he crashed. And Ayrton Senna was killed. And it was a tragedy. If you've perhaps seen the film of his life, uh, you will understand the tragedy that was for the nation of Israel as well as for the sport of motorsport. But what many people didn't realize was that Ayrton Senna was also a committed Christian. And he used to use the long-haul flights between the different Grand Prix to read his Bible. And after his death, they found the Bible that he used to use reading the Bible on these flights. And they found somewhat poignantly that just before, days before he was killed, he'd outlined, highlighted two particular verses in the Bible. One was Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 that says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Incredible promises of God's strength and God's provision and God's care. And Ayrton Senna had taken a highlighter pen and highlighted that particular verse just a few days before he was killed. They flipped over the page and saw Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. And again, Ayrton Senna had highlighted these words. So do not fear for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Ayrton Senna didn't know what was about to happen. He didn't know that in a few days' time, he would be killed. But Ayrton Senna's faith was central to his life. And as people read through his Bible, they realized that Ayrton Senna's faith was also central to Ayrton Senna's death. That he had a hope that went beyond the grave. Asked about his Christian faith, he said this, For me, the most important thing is to learn from the Bible, to get to know God and my faith. But I recognize that I'm just at the beginning of my research. Even though he was such a high-profile figure, even though he was leading such an amazingly busy life, Ayrton Senna took time to read the Bible. Ayrton Senna knew that his whole Christian faith depended on him reading the Bible, discovering who God is through his word. Various people were asked as part of the Alpha film series whether they read the Bible. Hopefully, we'll find some interviews with them now. We are living in a time when we are better connected than ever before. And as soon as something happens anywhere in the world, we know about it straight away. But with so much information at our fingertips, it can be hard to sift out the really important from the superficial. For many people, the Bible seems a bit outdated, boring, or just plain hard to understand. What can the Bible possibly say to us in the 21st century? Have I ever read the Bible? No. Yes. I've read parts of oh, the Bible. Yeah, I read the whole thing. As a kid, I did. We used to have like our own like special ones. We used to have like the child Bibles with like Jesus and like the kids and sit under a tree and stuff like that. Like in elementary school, we read it, yeah. I've skimmed it. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, <laughs> the other guys. <laughs> Another one about that guy in his colourful cloak. Um, Do I think the Bible is relevant? I think uh, parts of it are definitely relevant, but a lot of it might be a little bit out of date. I honestly don't remember anything from the Bible. I think that actually sort of teaches around, I think, yeah. It's relevant to Bibles, maybe for some people, but not me. I think the Bible is inspirational and kind of frustrating at times. In the 18th century, the French philosopher Voltaire predicted that the Bible would become a museum piece within a hundred years of his lifetime and replaced by more advanced philosophies. But today, the Bible remains the most popular book in the world, the most successful literary creation of all time. Each year, over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away. 
The YouVersion Bible app has been downloaded over 200 billion times. The Bible is the best-selling book of the year, every year. In fact, it's so popular that it's excluded from weekly bestseller lists. The Bible would be the top seller every single week, week in, week out. Many people would say that the Bible is the most popular book of all time because it's also the most powerful. It has the power to change individuals and to change societies. On her coronation day, the Queen of England was handed a Bible with the words, We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The Bible is incredibly precious. The writer of the Psalms describes the Bible as being more precious than gold. In fact, it's so precious that some have even risked their lives to share it with others. It was in um, March 2009, one day early in the morning, Marzi received a phone call from a stranger. He had some question about the car document and asked her to go to the police station. And we didn't know why and what, what was going to happen. Um, but we just prayed together and she left, she went to the police station and I was waiting for Marzia to return from the security police. Suddenly I heard the sound of her with a few others behind the door. Well, I saw her standing there with um, three guards and I was so shocked and they ransacked everywhere and they took both of us with all our belongings like Bibles, Jesus movies into the security police. We had long hours of interrogation. I, I believe it was in the first day that he threatened us to physical torture. In that dark cell in the basement, we just hugged each other. We said goodbye because we thought it was our last day on earth and um, we were so scared. I remember the only thing that we could do um, in that dark cell in those moments was just praying for each other. Uh, we met each other for the first time. It was 2005. And after finishing our theology courses, uh, we both felt that we had the same passion about our country to return to our country and to share this message with our people. That's why even though we knew that how much is dangerous, we decided to go. And we uh, called our pastor, he was in uh, London, and we asked him to send uh, thousands of uh, Bibles. And uh, it wasn't easy for them. And we received uh, those New Testaments and we started our first mission and usually at night we carried about 114 New Testaments in our backpack and put them in the mailboxes. I remember sometimes it was during the winter we had to walk for long hours, for about eight, nine hours. And after almost three years, uh, we could distribute uh, 20,000 uh, New Testaments. There are some stories, amazing stories, that how God protected us and we could see his miracles. We were distributing Bibles, we were talking to people, and we were having these two house churches in our own apartment. And we knew that it was risky. We spent almost nine months in prison and 14 days we were separated. We were um, staying in solitary confinement. And I can say uh, during those nine months, we had almost about 10 trials, 10 courts. And in each court, the judges our, and our interrogators would threaten us to execution by hanging. And they, they wanted to put pressure on us to deny our faith in Jesus. We didn't have Bible with us, but uh, we learned how to live with the verses uh, of Bible. And every day we were praying and uh, asking God to give us uh, this power to live uh, those verses and to show him through, those, uh, uh, through our behaviors to prisoners. It was um, almost uh, at the nine months that uh, uh, we heard that uh, we, have, we had many supports from different uh, parts of the world. And because of all these uh, supports, the, the government had to release us, unlike their desires. And you know, Mercy mentioned about those Bibles that we were 
distributing. At that time, we were just praying for those Bibles. We didn't, we didn't know who would get those Bibles. And I remember uh, it was two years ago, we were in Australia and we were invited to a church. After our speech, um, a couple came up uh, on the stage and they were, uh, both of them, they were crying and they started to share their stories. They said that um, the wife found one of those Bibles that they put in, the, in their mailboxes and they found the Bible and the whole family came to Christ just by reading that um, New Testament that they put in their mailboxes. The Bible is inspired by God. The Apostle Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. The word he uses there, literal translation of the Greek word, is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. Brilliant. <laughs> so the Bible is popular, powerful, and it's precious. Why don't you turn to your neighbor in twos or threes, and why don't you tell them a verse that comes to mind, a verse that you've memorized, a verse that means something to you, a verse that you can remember. If you can't think of any, that's completely fine. Uh, enjoy the other person's answer. But why don't you do that for the next couple of minutes? Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So the Bible is powerful. It impacts our lives. When I read my Bible, when I read even just one verse, it can change my entire day. You see, the Bible is powerful because it's living. It's alive. In 2 Timothy, it says that it's, it's God-breathed. It uses this phrase, theonustos, God-breathed. It's his breath. Come alive. When you read it, that breath comes into you. And it can change your day. We've already heard about how even just reading the scriptures can bring you to Jesus for the very first time. Sometimes, certainly uh, when I was growing up, I thought uh, becoming a Christian uh, was a very much uh, a noisy, experiential thing. I grew up in a charismatic church, which basically just means it was very loud, and I loved it, and it was an amazing upbringing. Um, but that it, it meant that I, I thought, well, in order to meet Jesus, it needs to be in a room full of people, it needs to be really noisy. But actually, so many people in the world have met Jesus for the very first time just by picking up a Bible and reading it. Because the Bible is alive, it's living. God has spoken. There's nothing, there's nothing about God that isn't already written in his word. If you want to get to know who Jesus is, you want to know your Father in heaven, well, it's all in the Bible. Every part of his character is in there, described beautifully. Uh, some, uh, some through history, some through poems, some through hymns. There's biography in there. It's widespread and diverse, but Jesus, God, is on every page. I've heard it described, the Old Testament uh, is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And it points us to Jesus. It's powerful. Michael Griffiths, a scholar and a missionary, said this. He said, these are not Jewish-inspired guesses about what God might be like. Not what people imagine about God, but what God himself has said about himself and breathed into the scriptures. It doesn't say that the people were inspired, but that they but that what they wrote was inspired. The Bible is not merely what spiritual people thought about God, but what God thinks about humanity. It's God-breathed. 
This isn't just some interesting text that we found from ages ago. Christianity is as big as it is all over the world. Certainly in Europe, it seems to be taking a bit of a downward spiral. But the rest of the world, the, the opposite is true. It's blowing up in Asia and Africa and around the globe. And the reason is because we still have this Bible, this word, this living word of God. That's how it's spreading. And what is its purpose? Well, in 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For teaching, instructive, positive, for us to learn about life. Rebuking, that was mainly to describe uh, pointing out false teaching in your life. Lies that you're believing, that the world has taught you, that culture has taught you. The Bible is there to rebuke that and correcting training in righteousness so that we might become more like Jesus as we read his word. The Bible is about life change, not learning. This isn't a textbook. It's about transformation, not information. Dave. And that's the important thing about the Bible. That's what makes it different. The Christian faith is not just about knowing more stuff. It's not just about acquiring more knowledge. Some of you at the moment, I know, are acquiring knowledge. You are cramming at the moment. You are trying to get more and more information into your heads. It might be your hires. It might be your N5s. It might be your advanced hires. It might be university exams. But you are trying to get more information. You are praying at the moment that that verse in the Bible that speaks about God leading you into all truth will somehow download information into your brain in the examination room. You have to revise as well. It doesn't work that way. But fundamentally, the Bible is not just about information. Though we can learn about God, though it's about describing who God is, about describing out what God has done, primarily the Bible is not written for information. But as Josh says, it's written for transformation. At one stage in John chapter 9, we're told that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and he rebuked them because he said, you study the scriptures, you know the scriptures hard, but yet you refuse to come to me. They knew the scriptures really well. They knew them by rote, they knew them off by heart, they could recite them in Hebrew or Aramaic. They knew them. They were word perfect. Had they taken a higher, advanced higher, N5, or even a Bachelor of Divinity exam on what we call the Old Testament, they could have knocked spots off any of us. But they had missed exactly what was in front of them. That the Scriptures were not written for information, but transformation. And they were, if you like, a love letter between God and us. Because at the end of the day, we don't have to believe in a set of doctrines or creeds or beliefs. But you and I are invited into a relationship where we don't just know about God, but we actually know him. 
It's the difference, if you're doing French, you know the difference between the verbs savoir and connaître. Savoir is I know about. So I could say, je sais, Ryan Giggs, or je sais, Sir Alex Ferguson, or je sais, whoever, somebody famous. But I can't say, je connais, Ryan Giggs, or je connais, Sir Alex Ferguson, I, I know them as a friend. But I can say, je connais Jesus. I know him as a friend. I don't just know facts about him. I don't just know where he was born and where he died. I don't just know the words that he spoke. I just don't know the teachings and the doctrine that he taught. But I actually know him and have known him for nearly 40 years this year as my friend. Jesus is my friend. The Bible itself speaks about the fact that he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. That if you were to go to a party with Jesus, to meet somebody that you don't know, and you were to introduce Jesus to your friend, Jesus would say, oh yeah, this is Dave, he's my brother. He's proud to call us his brother's and his sisters. But also, the Bible speaks in an incredible way to people who are not yet Christians. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, says this. The Apostle Paul wrote, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. When somebody says to me, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, what would you recommend? One of the things that I say is, start reading the Bible. Start reading the, the Gospels. Don't start with Genesis, you'll get stuck. But start with Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Read one of the biographies of Jesus. That's what happened to me nearly, four, well, it was 40 years ago. Somebody gave me a Bible. And I started to read Mark's Gospel. And as I read about the person of Jesus, as I read about who he was, as I read about the things that he did and the things that he said, something changed inside me. I realized that I could actually know this person who was contained in this book. You've probably heard of the actor David Suchet. He's best known uh, for playing Hercule Poirot uh, before Kenneth Branagh's uh, version with that amazing mustache uh, in the latest film. But David Suchet tells his own story about he became, when he became a Christian and says this, from somewhere I got this desire to read the Bible again. This is the most important part of my conversion. I started with the Acts of the Apostles and then moved to Paul's letters, Romans and Corinthians. And it was only then that I came to the Gospels. In the New Testament, I discovered how life should be followed. So the Bible is written that as we read it, we understand who God is that we come to a personal, living, saving relationship through Jesus. But it's also written for Christians that we then might become like Jesus. The Bible speaks about God guiding us through the Bible. It's about perhaps reminding us who God is. If you look at the, the stories of the temptation with, with, with Jesus in the wilderness, again and again, three times, even though the devil comes to Jesus and quotes or misquotes parts of Scripture, 
the way that Jesus replies to him each time is with Scripture. The Bible is useful for defense. And the Bible works deeply in us. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it speaks about the Word of God being living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, so sharp that it's able to divide the bone and the marrow. And sometimes you can read a passage from the Bible and it just, it's as though it's diagnosing you. It cuts you to the quick. And sometimes people say that reading the Bible or the Bible itself is at odds with science. Well, one of the most eminent scientists in the world is Dr. Jen Lennox. He's a professor of mathematics at Oxford. And here's how he describes the relationship between his faith and science. Science and God don't mix. And that's curious, because if you think of the rise of science in the 16th and 17th centuries, all its pioneers believed in God. In fact, they were Christian in some sense or other. You talk about Galileo, Kepler, Newton, and so on. Kepler famously said, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. So far from their belief in God hindering their science, it was the very motive that drove it. Because they believed in a creator, a rational spirit behind the universe, they thought that science was worth doing, and so they did it. So I'm not remotely embarrassed at saying I'm both a scientist and a Christian, because arguably Christianity gave me my subject. We study God's revelation both in the natural world and in scripture with the minds that God has given us. And I believe there's no conflict ultimately between those two sides properly understood. So uh, it's transformative. The Bible is transformative. It's not odds with science. Uh, it's almost, it's, it's filled with action. It's live and living. Um, I recently uh, got a car, and uh, it's the first car I've ever owned um, which has stuff on the dash. Usually, I'm used to just two or three dials to do the aircon, and that's about it, because I'm usually driving very old cars. But this one's got like a screen, and you can touch the screen. And, and when you touch it, stuff happens when you touch the screen. It's amazing, and I have no idea how to work it. And, uh, and so what I, what I did is I drove around a bit, and then I pressed a load of wrong buttons, and I thought, right, I need to stop, and I need to look at the manual. So I pulled out the manual, and I started to read this manual. And if you can imagine, um, uh, imagine that this, this manual was so exciting and interesting to read that I got so caught up and I thought, this manual is amazing. I'm going to learn it through and through every single word. And maybe I'll start to memorize certain bits so I can quote it to other people. Uh, this manual, so, I, I find it so interesting to my life. I'm going to carry it with me everywhere I go. Uh, I'm going to read it uh, in the morning and then maybe before I go to sleep. And it's going to be so, I'm going to know it inside out. Don't you worry about that. Imagine that's what I did. But you'd say you've missed the point. The manual in itself isn't the thing that you carry around and that you adore and that you get sucked into. The manual is to teach me to drive the car. In and of itself, if it doesn't change my life, if I don't respond to it with action, with doing, then it just becomes a load of beautiful words that I've decided to remember. The Bible is transformative and alive. So, if it's transformative and alive and it's God-breathed, then God speaks to us through it. So how does God speak to us through the Bible? Well, it's not easy. 
as, as mentioned earlier, there's, there's loads of different kind of prose. Uh, it's biography, history, poetry. It's complicated. It's dense. It's theological. But God is on every page, and God is speaking to us through it. Often, uh, I remember when I was younger, um, saying to somebody, uh, I think I struggle, I think I'm not one of those people that hears, hears from God. I, I don't think I've ever heard from God. And maybe, maybe I'm not one of those people. Maybe you think the same. Well, this person said to me, well, do you read your Bible? I said, no. I said, well, maybe if you start there, you'll start to hear God. And it's absolutely true. What he's going to say to me right now today isn't going to contradict anything he's already said or done. And actually, sometimes the most powerful ways to hear from God are through his word. In fact, I would say it is the principal way to hear from God is through his written word. So you're going to need to plan. You're going to need to think, okay, when in my day am I going to do it? If you don't plan to do it, trust me, I know, with, even with limited experience I know this, if you don't plan it in, you'll never do it. It was the first thing that slips out of your mind to do. So you've got to plan it in. When am I going to do it in my day? For how long am I going to do it? How much am I going to read? Am I going to follow a plan? I've, I've been doing the Bible in one, uh, one year, and uh, it's something you can do the, uh, through the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. Um, I'm about three, it's about 99, so it's about three months behind on the Bible in one year. Um, so do it in your own time, whatever works for you. Uh, I certainly do that. Um, but it's fantastic. It gives me a load of uh, scriptures, stuff going on in the Bible. It weaves Old Testament, New Testament together. There's some commentary. So somebody is also taking me through it. It helps me to understand how it's relevant to today, uh, for, today for now. So, so find a plan. Find a plan that works for you and follow it. And it is about your own time. Don't cram it in. I got to a point where I was just uh, reading it in competition. I was just flying through it just to say that so I could get that little tick on the day to say that it was done. And I was soaking none of it in. So make it work for you, but you've got to plan. So find a time, find a place. I don't know about you, but I, I often, uh, it needs to be a quiet place when I'm doing something like this. I get distracted so easily. Find a time and a space, somewhere that's quiet, somewhere that's relaxed, somewhere where you can actually receive and hear from God as you read it. Something I find that's amazing too is sometimes when I'm reading something uh, from the Bible and, and, you know, New Testament's slightly easier to read. It's very practical. It's very, you're a Christian and this is how to live. Old Testament's a little trickier. And sometimes when I'm reading some of the old stories in the Old Testament, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, how is this going to change my life? But actually what I do know is, nonetheless, whatever I've read, it still nourishes me. It still feeds me. I dwell on it and I reflect on it and I come back to it later in the day and I think, actually, this is doing something. Maybe I can't even identify what it's doing this passage this week, but it's doing something in me. So find a place. Find your method. Are you going to use a commentary? Are you going to listen to somebody, uh, listen to talks online that reflect on particular passages? Or are you going to do it with friends in your connect group? and then respond to it. It's living and alive. Ask Jesus, pray to him, ask Jesus, God, speak to me through this passage. Show me something I've never known before. At the moment, the students and I, we're going through a weekly Bible study, and it's amazing. And we're looking at 1 John, and we're asking God every single time, just come and tell us how much you love us. So that's what 1 John is basically about. It's about love. 
And so at each time, we're going deeper and deeper into this thing, and somebody says something interesting, and then somebody else brings it. And when you share and you read the Bible with other people, you hear how they read it. It's living and alive. Somebody else will read the word, the same word, in a completely different way, and that will give you revelation and understanding that you would have never gotten on your own. So read it with others. And then most importantly, put it into practice. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says, a wise, a wise, says the difference between a wise man and a foolish man. A wise man hears my words and puts them into practice. It's about doing, it's about living, it's about being alive. And it's never too late to start. Maybe you've come here tonight and you've never, ever opened a Bible. You've never heard a verse until tonight. And you think, okay, maybe I could give this a go. It's never too late to start. Open your Bible and ask God to speak to you. Chris Akabusi, famous uh, athlete, also famous for showing me a card trick when I was in junior school in Portsmouth. That's a claim to fame, I'll have you know. He was describing his experience of reading the Bible, and he said this. He said, man, this was alive. I read the whole thing while I was away in Edinburgh. Edinburgh, come on. I couldn't put the Bible down. I'd go training with the guys, do my stuff, and then race back and read more of the Bible. I was reading the Bible for four hours a day. It really got me interested. Maybe tonight you've come and, for whatever reason, the Bible is a little bit alien to you. Or maybe you're quite new to this stuff and you're, you're trying to work out how to get started. Well, I encourage you, get started. Get started right now. Download it on your phone and just see what God has to say. Read the stories of what God has done. And you'll start to get this wider sense of God's plan for your life. The challenge that I leave you with is, are you reading the Bible? You'll get to know God better. It'll change your life. And as a result of reading it, you will go out and live out the purposes that God has for your life. Why don't we stand and pray?